Welcome to episode 168, Surviving Motherhood, giving voice to childbirth experiences and trauma of black mothers, featuring Dr. Linnea Richardson, licensed clinical psychologist. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Please note, this episode uses various terms to describe people who gestate and chest feed, including terms like women, mothering, breastfeeding, childbirthing people, etc. Please note that the terminology to describe childbirthing people is continually evolving. We encourage use of lexicon that is specific to each individual and his, her, or their self-identification. We also want to note that this episode includes discussion of medical emergencies and traumatic experiences relating to childbirth. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Iriez, and today we are talking about a topic that is near and dear to many and also very important, which is talking about the experience of motherhood and giving voice to Black mothers and their experiences of their birth stories and trauma. And today I am honored to be joined by Dr. Linnea Richardson. She is a psychologist and this is her specialization. So I have Dr. Richardson here to really spend some time with us and shed some light on this topic and hopefully have more conversation about a subject that really is not being discussed enough. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Richardson. Thank you for having me. So you are, as I said, a psychologist. You're also an assistant professor of counseling. But why don't you take a moment and tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and how you came to have the specialization in working in maternal mental health? Sure. So um, as you said, I'm a psychologist. So um, I usually give this spiel whenever I have new clients. I did undergrad psychology and I did a master's in mental health counseling and I went and did my PhD in counseling psychology. So I say I married the two. So I really um, started with this just general broad wanting to know about psychology. It was a general um, field, right? um, Degree for my undergrad. And then I started honing in on, okay, what can I do with a psychology degree? And I went and got my master's. And then again, from there, learn more about the differences in society and PhD and all of those things. And so my work has always been like really, I'll use maybe broad as a good word for um, internships, externships. In 2018, I became a mom. And so my own experience as a mom and my motherhood journey is what led me to where I'm at now working in maternal mental health. So um, I've been doing that since learning more about it since 2018 and actually working with the population specifically since 2020. So since the pandemic, it allowed me that freedom to actually really just hone in and really cater to this population. That's really like my population is women and mothers. Specifically, not only within women and mothers, but really a conversation about a black person's experience in the medical field. This is something that you've really focused in on. Can you share a bit about why that is? And for our listeners who aren't as familiar about the disparities um, for kind of the black, uh, black birth story, if you will, versus a white birth story, can you talk a little bit about why this topic in particular is so important for mental health professionals to have an understanding about? Yes. Um, you know, so I'm, I was always taught that our own experiences, right, the self-reflection, learning about ourselves, our own experiences, how they influence and impact us is really what guides and leads us as therapists. And so it was my own childbirth trauma and experience with my first daughter that made me really question, like, what is happening here? So maybe I can go into a little bit about my birth story, and that'll help with seeing how this kind of shape to why I think this topic is so important. Um, So I was all gung-ho about having this natural birth, right? That's what we talk about is all natural, having your birth story, your birth plan. I did all the right things. I went to prenatal yoga. I um, did the birthing classes and I said I wanted to have an all natural birth, meaning no epidural and nothing, right? No medicine, no intervention. And I was doing fine. My my birth plan went was going as planned. And then um, my daughter was two weeks late. So I was over two weeks overdue. So I was waiting, like just 
counting the days of when this baby was going to come out of me. And um, she didn't come. She didn't move. I didn't dilate. Nothing was happening. And so I actually learned about um, using acupuncture to try to help with um, help with labor. And so I did acupuncture the night before I was going to be induced. And then I had my baby started coming on her own naturally. So I went to the hospital, was ready to have the baby. And it was okay until I just never dilated any further than, I don't know if it was three centimeters or something very small. And from there, everything spiraled. So it was, um, I had to have oxygen. There were multiple nurses in and out. The doctor was concerned. Like you can see the worry right on, on their faces. Like you could see like something isn't right, but they're not telling us what's going on. And I so happened to, at the time I was a psychologist. I am married My sister was there. My parents were there. This is all pre-COVID, right? So you could have anybody and everybody. So everybody was there supporting me. But I knew and felt like something wasn't right. And I tried to like voice the concerns like, will someone like tell me what's going on? Wasn't getting any responses. We even had a nurse at some point who like just she seemed like she didn't want to be there. She didn't really care. And then we never saw her again. And we were like, well, what happened with her? And so this is, I'm, I'm going through all of these in my head, like these moments and these very significant moments of tra- stress and overwhelm and anxiety. But I'm a therapist. So I'm reflecting like I'm feeling anxious. I can't breathe right now. And they're asking me, what's wrong? Are you okay? Is something going on? And I'm like, I'm just anxious. But I know I'm anxious because I'm a therapist. So I literally in those moments had moments like, well, what about the the young 16 year old girl who doesn't have a parent who does who isn't married, who doesn't have the type of insurance that I have and can't just stay until, you know, her heart is full what about these women? What about the women who don't have their support network? So I, in those moments, I was thinking that, and I think that's the thing that helped me to process my whole experience. I mean, I ended up having to have a C-section, so I didn't really go into the full story in terms of what happened. I had to get an epidural, have a C-section, almost an emergency. Um, and my daughter was in the NICU for the first three or four days. So I, um, for me, again, my birth experience didn't go as planned at all. And that was the piece of realizing, like replaying in your head, like this didn't go like it was supposed to. And, you know, what happened? And could I have done anything differently? And why am I here? Why, why did it happen this way? Um, And thankfully, again, I was able to process that. And like I said, as a therapist myself, like doing that internal reflection is what I do. But I've really sat back and thought about like, how many women have this experience? And that was that's the journey that I've been on since then I started doing research, I started looking up Um, Black maternal health and mental health. I started seeing stories, endless stories about black women who died giving birth because they weren't listened to. So I remember again, that nurse that left when I was had some kind of concern or the doctors when they asked me what was wrong, but I was able to to articulate her voice that I needed like I was anxious. What about the woman who can't do that, who couldn't do that or the person again? So those were the all, all of those moments for me really like spark this journey like this is the path that I'm supposed to be on and my if I can if I don't have any you know other I don't have any other option but to give voice to this story Um, and so that's where I started I started telling my story and then once I told my story then I started hearing multiple stories from other women in the news there's been more conversation about stories like yours and thank you for sharing um we have stories of people who were expressing symptoms at the ER yes. or at the doctor and that they were told that it was anxiety or that it was stress or something else. And so you have major symptoms that are being overlooked. This is happening. This disparity is happening for Black people in general. And then we look at specifically for Black mothers, um, for people who are pregnant and who are um, giving birth to babies can you speak to some of those statistics so that our listeners can understand like how kind of stark this is and why it's important for us as mental health professionals to understand the framework 
we may have our black clients in. Um, and that's not just for the clients who are pregnant and having the babies, but for the entire family system of the stress that's been put on that baby carrier, <laughs> you know, the, the right, person right. that has all of that responsibility and their body's going through all of these things. And also to have this layer of discrimination, that's kind of an inherent part of the process. So, I mean, I, I you know, I think that thank you for even sharing that, right? This is not just limited to black women, but we're adding these layers. So when you talk about women in general, we have, there's a tendency that women aren't um, listened to, right? Or valued or respected. Their voice is often silenced. And then we want to add that, you know, this intersectionality of race and gender. So black women um, are not being listened to even more so, right? We know this. So the Maternal Mental Health Leadership Alliance um, states these is the statistics that one in five um, women or childbearing persons, right, will experience a maternal mental health disorder in the U.S. And that 34% of women experience some form of childbirth trauma. So we start thinking about, okay, women, likely, if we start to look at statistics, are experiencing childbirth trauma. This results in a maternal mental health disorder for black women, Right. So we're all, we're thinking mental health, but also physical health, because we know there is a con the connection for black women. Black women are three to four times more likely to die than white women giving childbirth and or um, again, mortality or morbidity. So they either are dying three to four times more often or they're having some type of crises or issue after childbirth. And the thing that we know is that these conditions are often temporary and treatable. So when we're saying that black women are dying more frequently, the issue is not that we have some innate issue or black women, their our body bodies biologically are different. What is happening is there there are treatable and preventable issues that if their voice was heard, if they were listened to when they said, my leg is hurting or I'm having some pain or something isn't feeling right. I, my body doesn't feel right, right? We're taught to listen to your body. And when they're saying and sharing these things, they're being ignored. So if you go and look at these multiple stories of women who are dying, giving childbirth, you will see that they complained. They went to the doctor. They did everything you're supposed to do. They told someone, they asked for help and they were ignored. And then afterwards, right, the, the doctors and the hospitals, they come back and say, you know, we, we have some work to do. So we know that's the story. So really, when you look at it, it's not so much that black women, again, just inherently are dying more frequently. There are some systemic issues related to what we already know as it relates to oppression, discrimination, et cetera, which then, again, if we're talking about these connections, then connects it back to our mental health and our mental well-being. When you think about maternal mental health, you mentioned that in kind of this cascade of factors that contribute to poorer outcomes for Black mothers. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Um, and like, how, how do you find, or I guess define even like, what is maternal mental health? What is the lack of maternal mental health? Like, how do all these things come together to form either an ideal or a poor birth experience and early motherhood experience, particularly for Black people? Well, I, I love that question, because I thought about this when we talk about maternal mental health or when it's talked about, and I, I looked it up because I wanted to see like, well, how do other people describe it? I know I'm working in this every day. This is what I do. And when I looked it up, it's often, it's described in the negative context, which I know mental health generally is, but typically we think mental health disorder or mental health illness, but mental health in general, general, right, is the your mental health. It's your well-being. It's how you're feeling, it's how you're doing. But it's often um, described when you say maternal mental health, it's often discussed or described in the context of perinatal mental health disorders, such as postpartum depression, anxiety, right? The, I mean, very um, rare psychosis, Excuse me, but I found the World Health Organization in 2009. So it's pretty old now, but I love their definition because I think this is how we should be thinking about it. And it, it can shift somewhat, but um, they described or defined maternal mental health as a state of well-being in which a mother realizes her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully and is able to make a contribution to her community. 
right? Or that should be like her community, her family, her, her, her friends. That's what we should be striving for, right? That if I go, I want to be a mom or I want to have a child, I want to bring life into this world, which we say is so precious. I want to bring life into this world. I should be able to go to the hospital and return home with my baby, not because of the color of my skin. I, there should not be a barrier because I look different, because I am have brown skin, right? And I should feel like I can do it, I can cope, I can be productive, I can still do all the things I really want to do and be a mom. And that's often the barrier. So I really think about this, like I really love the way they defined it um, and really thinking about like, the mother realizing her own ability. That's really what I've strived for. I, I say this to my clients often. It's making like making over motherhood. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Like um, that's a hashtag. It's on like, I think it's Facebook and Instagram. And they talk about making over motherhood and you share your story, your childbirth stories, your trauma, your, your um, journey with, men, with um, excuse me, with um, like perinatal depression, et cetera. And so it, it says making over motherhood. And so I really strive for this idea of like, you get to define motherhood the way you want to. What does mothering mean to you? Right? Mothering is an action verb. It's a verb. It it means you you give, you nurture, you what do you want it to look like? Right? It doesn't have to look like what they say and we know what they it's TV and social media. Like what do you want it to look like? But if you can't even get to the place of, if you can't even get to the place of mothering, of having your child and bringing forth your, bringing your child home, then you don't even get this opportunity to mother, really. And, you know, it's unfortunate because that's where a lot of black women find themselves in their, in, in this space. They aren't able to mother the way they want to because of their negative experiences. I really appreciate that definition that you shared from the World Health Organization, because even thinking about that question of what is maternal mental health, we're certainly conditioned that it's that it would then be the absence of a, a diagnosable condition, <laughs> not that it would include like any kind of thriving. Um, but it's like, right. well, as long as you're not depressed and anxious, and you must be fine. Um, and that 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 really is not accurate. And there's obviously so much here in terms of the way that our society views motherhood and the difficulty of parental leave benefits and of getting time off for doctor's appointments. And, you know, there, this is a very complex phenomenon that's unfolded over a long time to kind of create the mess that we have here. Um, I'm still just even processing the idea of, of health that is actually uh, satisfying, that is whole, that is not just the absence of a mental health condition or even a medical condition. Um, how do you see this play out now that you specialize with this in your work? Um, you and I were talking before we started recording and you shared that oftentimes you're seeing people after the fact, that it's after they've had their child or children and it's this recollection. And certainly speaking as someone who's had children, we're very cute about our birth plans. Um, and we spend a lot of time rubbing our bellies and thinking about, well, how do we want this to go? And I don't know anybody's story that went the way that we wanted it to go. But there's a very big difference between slight changes in birth plan and full-blown birth trauma. And so I want to bring up what you said, which is so often you're seeing this after the fact, and then it's kind of the cleanup instead of this prevention. Um, but tell me, Tell me what this looks like in your office and how you know to kind of squeeze in there and be like, so let's talk about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, again, that goes into the part of this is the training, right? So I think PSI, so Postpartum Support International does a great job. They have trainings. It's everything's, of course, virtual online now, <clears throat> as well as in person. So they definitely give you information about like signs to look out for questions to ask. Um, one person and I, I've adopted this in many ways. Um, what another therapist that I know of spoke about asking, you know, sim similar to what you would do at intake, right? Tell me your birth story. And just let the mom, the mama, tell her birth story as organically as she can give her narrative, her experience of it or their experience of it, right? To be able to just share fully and whatever it is that they want to share. And then once they share that, of course, asking those very specific questions. So 
as we know with trauma, many people block uh, things out. I, I can go back to my experience. I like to think I, m- I'm on the spectrum of my experience being a tra- trauma. I, I mean, I still process it and work through it. And sometimes I'm like, should I tell this? And I'm not, I feel the, the tears welling up. And so I, I did a lot of processing. Um, but with that, yeah, some people will block out their experience. They, they, asking about it is hard. It's tough. So I, I try to do the, tell me just, you know, in general, like your birth story, of course, asking things like, was your pregnancy? Like, was it, was it planned? Did you want a child? Was it something that was it? How was it? Was it difficult again? Um, getting pregnant. So all of those things that can be taboo or uncomfortable, of course, in other settings, you would do, you know, in the, in a therapeutic setting. So I, like you were saying, I, I'm learning and finding it, working in the, with this particular population, I'm often finding mamas after the fact, and some of them are wanting to try for baby number two or three, if, if, you know, the trauma happened at, at a different place or different point in time. And so what they're often doing is using therapy and then their second or next pregnancy as kind of that corrective emotional experience, right? I know now, now I know the signs to look out for. Now I realize, and I'm, again, I'm seeing this. I realize I have postpartum anxiety or depression because of my birth experience. Like I was fine up until that moment, up until I tried to, you know, had to, had the baby and this thing happened or I didn't feel prepared or X, Y, and Z happened. So yeah, it's, it's often the, um, after the fact. And so in the moment, what I do again in the work is ask those questions that I think, I mean, how many women before I started doing this work, I didn't know, like I have aunts, cousins, best friends, I didn't know anything about their birth experience. Do you know that? Until I had my own and shared what happened with me. And then I had cousins and people like, oh, my baby was in the NICU. And I'm like, my co- that's my younger cousin. I didn't know your baby was in the NICU. Oh my gosh. How, how did you get through that? Right? Like I would have never known. It's not known. It's, it, we don't just talk about it. And of course it's trauma. So we also don't just openly share. Well, and I, you know, when you think of the construct for, the process of childbirth, you are stepping into the great wild unknown. I mean, so many things can happen. You are trusting whatever person or people are around you to take care of you and to take care of this other life um, and or lives. It's an incredibly vulnerable experience. And as we know, when we're already vulnerable, it sets the stage for us to be extra wounded by things being done in a way that takes away our voice, that takes away our agency, um, that may hurt us physically, mentally, or emotionally. And I think just that framework is important. And also what you said about people not talking about it. Um, do you see that as an extension of cultural and social norms and also just the way that in general we avoid shame? <laughs> like we don't like talking about things that are vulnerable. Maybe we right. feel ashamed because we see these mm-hmm. different cards and Hallmark saying, you know, and, well, and actually, as you were talking, I was also thinking we're so quick in our society that if someone says, oh, I'm pregnant, we go, congratulations. But even that is a really huge assumption about how the other person might be feeling about this. Or I just had a child. Congratulations. Like, well, that's a really big assumption because maybe it was horrible and I'm terrified and I'm feeling awful. And it's not like, oh, cool. I just got a new car. Like, it's it's a totally different experience. Yes, it's it's definitely all of that. I, again, I've learned that along the way in doing this. And there's no, until you're, I feel like you're like in this world, these things, these conversations happen more frequently, more often. Like you were saying, don't always say congratulations. How are you feeling about that? Oh, you know, you want to ask that person's perspective. Sometimes it's, again, it's unexpected. Or, I mean, you have, you have so many layers to, like you said, pregnancy and what, what that means. Um, I definitely want to speak to what you said. Culturally, yes, I I believe so. You know, I think it's still, um, can be taboo for a black. I mean, I only can speak from what I know. I cannot speak for all black individuals, but I do think it's still pretty taboo to talk about your 
not just really mental health. I'll be honest. We we use the word like secrets, like in the black community, it's like family, like secrets or like it's private information. So we keep it in our inner circle. Right. You don't tell people what this is like the um, whenever um, I can't even think of the word. <laughs> One of the things that we live by. Right. Don't tell people what's going on inside of our home. We don't share that outside of the home. So even if you're saying this in the context of, of going to profession for pro- professional help, I think people still kind of have that internal dialogue like should I share this? Can I share this? So I think that's part of not sharing this story. I think, as you said, honestly, what I'm learning and I feel like I've felt some of that is that when you have a child, right, giving birth, getting pregnant, all of those things, it's supposed to be the happiest time of your life. No one wants to talk about the sad part of it. No one wants to say like, I experienced a still, I did not personally, but no one wants to share, right? Or no, people, it's taboo to share that you had a stillbirth or you had a miscarriage or you're having trouble getting pregnant or you have to go through IVF. That those things can be, again, very private and personal, but also, like you said, bring a lot of shame. Like you didn't, yours didn't look like everyone else's or your experience is not like everyone else's, Um, you know, and then. I mean, I think for for black women, as we say, if we keep it keeping it in that context, I mean, there are just so many (laughs) the shame that comes with things like, are you married? Right. Do you do you have um, are you old enough to have a child? So I've been told for however long I can remember that I look very young. And so I often have this thing like I see people looking at me and I'm like do I have to question like do they think that I'm a teenager or like there it's often things like that like even some questions where I'm there were like iffy questions like um things related to you know your partners and this and that it's like uh, do you ask other married women that and I don't know it, it feels it can feel like even if this is not the case, it can feel like we're pushed up against the stereotypes, right? That black women, more black women are single mothers and don't have a partner or have multiple, again, baby, babies, fathers, and dads, and all of that. Like those are all the stereotypes that women, black women are going into um, hospitals and spaces with, right? Well, like we're carrying that as well. So I think that's also a part of it. When it comes to therapists being involved in deconstructing this. Of course, part of that is making space and sessions for motherhood in general, for 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 uterus owner's body in general, forget motherhood, but to have right. to be able to talk about sex drive and periods and menopause and things like that. Um, but more than that, how do you see therapists walking this line between making space and inviting conversation around birth trauma? while also respecting the idea of secrets and the intimacy of those discussions. Yeah, and I I think this is the part of learning your style but knowing how do you how can we be authentic, and genuine in curiosity, right? Like you don't have to call it childbirth trauma. As I share, when I go back, I have processed I'm like this that's some trauma. I'm like it's hard to really fathom and actually I personally personally believe that all childbirth is trauma. If we really want to like dig deep, like you are, I've, I've started to like conceptualize and process like, this is like the closest that people who give birth come to death, like to bring forth life. Like you're, you're bringing forth life, but you are risking your own life. I mean, that in and of itself should be, we should talk about that more. Like the sacrifice that a person who gives birth, excuse me, goes through, they they sacrifice the possibility of their own mortality for their child. And I talk about this in my own, like I was at the verge of feeling scared and nervous. And I thought in that moment, like, I think I would rather die than lose my child. And I hadn't even had my child yet. And we know that, you know, that's what that's what happens, right? Like parents always say, like, I'll give my life for my child. I mean, at this age, you know, I have two children now. I could, I think I can confidently say that I feel that way. Like I would gladly if my, give my children, you know, opportunities because I've lived enough. I'm not that old, but I've lived enough. And so, I mean, that's trauma in itself. Like, and your the physical changes that your body goes through. 
I mean, ugh, we don't we haven't even started the physical changes, physiological, the the mental, like the capacity, the energy and effort it takes to to parent and to take care of a child. And I mean, that's where pe- I see again some of the 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 ongoing, uh, you know, after. So I think the things that lead and continue to perpetuate the um, per- again the mental health <clears throat> excuse me challenges after birth are things like. When you can't feed your baby, right? People have this like, I'm incapable. I'm not a good mom. I'm not good enough because I'm not lactating co- appropriately, right? right? My body's not doing what it's supposed to. Good enough. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not yeah. good enough. I, I'm not. Breast is breast milk is the best milk. It's you know it's supposed to be. So you have all these things. Or my child has a tongue tie. Or my child's not gaining weight. And so you have all these pressures and all of these challenges, and you have literally just sacrificed put yourself on the line to bring forth a little one. And, you know, I don't think that that is valued enough and um, upheld enough. What often happens, I believe, is once the baby comes, baby comes first. Yep. Mom disappears. Yeah. Right. Mom is the incubator for nine months, 10 months. Make sure she's healthy. Go to your doctor's appointments. Take your prenatal. Not because we were not because we're worried about mom, because we're worried about the development of the baby. And then once baby's here, it's all about the baby. And this is family, friends, doctors, right? The mom just, her, she's just less and less and less important. And so again, I, I often see women who feel like they're not supposed to feel stressed. They're not supposed to be sad. They're not supposed to be overwhelmed because they had a baby. And that's what, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Isn't that what we all strive to do? Like, isn't that the whole thing that makes you a woman? And again, we can talk about the layers to that because we know that not all women or people who give birth are mothers and mother, right? So, I mean, it's it's so many challenges and, and we already know how complex mental health is, which goes into, again, what we were saying, like, I mean, just conceptualizing and, and thinking about like, what is it, what does mental health even mean? And like I said, we're just adding that maternal mental health, right? We're just putting a star there, but what does that even mean? How do we look at it? How do we view it? You've alluded to some of it. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit more? What are some of the causes of maternal injury and mortality among uh, Black people through the child carrying and, and childbirth experience? Um, because I think clinicians need to know, like, these are the things that we're talking about it and they might be hard to hear, but I think it's important for us to know. Yeah. And I mean, and I would say again, I think this is the, it's common amongst maybe all birthing people, but with black women, it's the piece where they don't get the help of the intervention quick enough or soon enough, because again, the complications come either during following pregnancy or right after childbirth. Um, and so some of those complications, and actually, um, this was from, um, I can't, sorry, I can't remember the article offhand, but some, <clears throat> excuse me, major complications account for nearly 75% of all maternal deaths are things like severe bleeding, right? So this is mostly the bleeding after childbirth, um, infections, that's usually after childbirth. And then we know things like high blood pressure. This is, again, going to be during the childbirth, like preeclampsia, and then other complications from delivery. So, I, I again, speaking to my own experience, I, my second son, my son, my second child, I um, also had a C-section. I actually had a planned C-section because I didn't want to go through what I went through with my daughter. Even that, right? That was a question like, you don't want to try for a V-back and do you, are you sure you don't want to do it naturally? And it's like, I've already tried. It was very stressful. It was very painful. It was very scary. I don't, I want my child to be healthy and safe, but then I have to question how safe is he, right? Coming you for me as a black, again, a black woman going in, but also having a, a major surgery. So again, C-section, we also, I feel like downplay that. That is a major surgery. <laughs> you, uh, you put your life on the line again. And so, um, for me and, with my with my son, I'll say that I and the difference between my daughter and my son is with my son, I had a white anesthesiologist, male doctor. With my daughter, I had a black male anesthesiologist. So when we're talking about differences and like race and cultural and things that like how to advocate and think about the significance of like when we say representation matters with my son, with the white male anesthesiologist, excuse me. 
um, as the, um, again, I don't want to be too graphic, but as they were preparing to take my child out, I could feel the pain. I could feel it. I could feel them op- preparing to take him out, opening as they were opening me. And it, the doctor, the midwife, she was like, this is not normal. <laughs> like she shouldn't be in this much pain. He said to her, she's fine. I'm looking at her vitals and med- you know, I put the medicine in and everything's fine. And she goes to try to again, remove my son again. And I'm in excruciating pain. And she's like, no, she should not be able to feel this. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to wait and let you handle this and not do anything else until, you know, she's fine. Why is that significant? Because I said I wasn't fine. I could feel it. I've had another woman recently tell me they felt the pain and didn't say anything. Like they told them, but they kept going. That is traumatic. That is excru- the pain is excruciating. Anyone who has had a C-section who didn't like the epidural and things didn't kick in soon enough or the pain, it hurts. <laughs> so how do you how does a male, first of all, he's a man, right? He could never go through this experience, but how does he tell me that I'm okay and I can feel it? How do you have the how? How? How how? And what happened, again, this is just like all correlates and and all connects I ended up waking up after my son because I had to, because he didn't give me enough in the moment when I needed it, he then had to give me way more probably more than I needed so then I didn't wake up until like my son was I don't know hours old and I was like I didn't even experience anything with him I don't remember him coming out of me I didn't see I was like is that my son <laughs> he did, I don't I don't know who this child is like I had that disconnection in moment Going back to my daughter with the black male anesthesiologist, representation mattered. He held my hand. I mean, and I could say it's probably because he was a a different person, but there was something about that representation and connection. He guided me the whole way. He told me, okay, they're preparing to take the baby out. Here's what you can expect. Here's what's going on. They're almost there. She's coming out. I'm like in the moment, like nervous, crying, asking for my husband. Your husband's on his way. He'll be there shortly. So even like in those two moments, like those that that gave me a different experience. And so having someone who, again, looked like me, who who maybe understood my story or who saw people like me made a difference. So, yes, that's in the medical side, but in the mental health side, right on the mental health side, we can say and do the same thing. You don't have to necessarily look like someone to see them as human. Right. That's really what happened. Right. With my daughter, I was a human. I was a human woman who was scared, never had a baby before, had to have this emergency C-section, and he held my hand because he felt something for me as a human. With my son, I was, again, a patient, right, a, a person, a black woman, perhaps, who didn't know what she was talking about, although it was my experience, and it was my pain, and it was my body. That's the difference. So again, the interconnectedness and how we correlate that back to this mental health side of it, we can do the same thing for our clients. How do you see the the humanity, right? When you're when your black client tells you, my anesthesiologist didn't listen to me. I missed part of my birth with my son because he didn't hear me or she didn't listen. Um, I feel like I missed something in my birth experience, right? How do we support them and allow them to narrate, tell that story, to navigate it, to narrate it, to say, what do you feel like? Do you feel like you were cheated? Do you feel like, you know, you want to protest and advocate? And what would you do if you, if you had an opportunity to do it over? How would you change it? How do we allow their humanity to come through? Speaking as another person who has had C-sections, um, you talking about it is really powerful and absolutely taking me back to my experiences. (laughs) Um, You had said earlier that part of the issue is that oftentimes it's after the fact that you're seeing people and that we're not having these conversations before. And so let's assume that we have a person who is carrying a child and, you know, pending birth, whenever that's going to be. I'm thinking of the concept of inoculation of basically like, how do we tell somebody what to expect? And it sounds to me like part of this is almost a psychoeducation and permitting 
someone to have a voice to say it's okay to say no this is not okay and i'm in pain and or this thing is happening and i'm scared or i can't feel my arm or whatever it is that's occurring if you had the opportunity maybe you have had those conversations how do you facilitate that pre-birth um is it you know i guess what does the therapist birth plan look like when working right. with a black client yeah. who's going to give birth yeah so i think it's all of that but like right even as you were sharing that, I was like, oh, like that's comp- it's complex because then you, you're the if you're the angry black woman exactly. who's trying to get her her needs met. I mean, there was a a video of a, a woman. I think she had just given given childbirth. Uh, this was right before the new year, a couple months. I don't know how old the video was. I wish I could re- reference it. I hadn't thought about it until you just asked this question. But she and her husband left the hospital. And I think she was like, had given birth maybe a day before but they were upset because she was angry or irate or like they were saying her attitude right essentially she had a bad attitude so she was getting kicked out of the hospital and she's like i just had a baby right like she, she wasn't seen as human like we're not always seen as human so i mean we're we're talking about some complicated more complex issues so th- there is some caution in what you know is what can help what comes to mind for me as a mental health therapist, and as you shared, if I had like, you know, um, young ladies and or young, young persons giving birth, I would definitely encourage the, you know, it's power in numbers. And this is where it goes back to me, like that community feel like, you know, it takes a village to raise, you know, a kid. And I think mamas, mothers, we need villages. We need support people. So you need your, if you don't have a spouse, do you have a sibling? Do you have a friend? Do you have a cousin? Do you have, do you have a a person that you can lean on and can come with you to be your advocate, right? A doula. Not everyone can afford certain like do extra like doulas and midwives. So like I always say my sister was my unofficial doula, right? She didn't have any training, but she had two kids and she had a, a difficult childbirth. So I watched her go through actually my nephew, my um sister's first son. He was in the NICU for a couple, I think a couple of weeks. And so actually if I hadn't been there with my sister and seen that, it would, I wouldn't have known anything about the NICU experience with my daughter. And I had that because I had that experience with him and my sister, it strengthened me to do, to go through my own experience. And so that's kind of this piece of what we're talking about, like how to strengthen our clients, how to empower them. It's your village. It's the, again, resources. It's knowing your rights. Um, a lot of people use those, uh, talk about like the clinical jar- jargon or hospital jargon, right? Like, okay, can you put in my note that I requested for X, Y, and Z and I was denied, right? And then people change their their tune. That happened with me. Like, you know, you have your handy dandy wristband and they love to um, scan it because every time they scan it, that's how they get money and they charge your insurance. And so there was some pill that I didn't want. But the nurse said, oh, I already scanned your bracelet. I'm thinking, but I didn't ask. Wait, you didn't even ask me if I needed or wanted this. And like, you're just charging me and charging my insurance and then telling me I must take this thing because you've already scanned it. I'm a little confused here. Right. So we knowing your rights is is what I would say. So as a therapist, it's again at the how do you empower your clients, but recognizing what power do they have within their um within their reach really and um yeah educate like we said education i think education is key here in any any time we talk about these types of um challenges definitely education i'm glad you brought that point up and yes it's you know to start off by saying it's obviously unfortunate that we're in a system that puts the advocacy on the patient like obviously mm-hmm. there are big problems there and if we're operating within that system then how do you i guess learn to advocate during a time when you are incredibly vulnerable. Um, Can you talk about that for therapists who maybe have not been around to be with somebody who's having a child, um, or maybe just simply aren't familiar with the process? What are some of the rights that a patient has walking into a birthing center, walking into a hospital? Um, How do they work within a system when they feel like they're not being heard? And then I assume by talking with patients about this, we're making it okay for them to push it up the line um, and ask for help, an ombudsman, whatever it is. Can you speak to that so that therapists listening going, well, what does that look like? What, what does happen? 
Yeah. Yeah, those are some some really good questions. So I know people people are going to get on me. I learned some things from Facebook. So I'm a part of a lot of Facebook groups on mothering and moms and uh, breastfeeding moms and um, moms of multiples because it's that's where the information who better to ask than other mothers who've been through it. Right. Because they're not that information is not really accessible. I don't know. I didn't have inf- that access to that information until I started joining those groups because there were women who were sharing their personal individual experiences and they were talking about what they did. So like I shared you, that's for me, it will definitely be that like for them to have that support person. And you want to support a person who, who is going to support you, not someone who's shy or backs down, you know, an authority, like someone who knows, right. Who can speak up, who can point to um, misinformation. So like, I know some people fear, like if you, for instance, with pregnancy, you typically, like as you're going through your months, you want to kind of have the same doctor, right? Because you want that you feel like they know your body, they know what's going on with the baby, but you can change your doctor. So some people, I've had people who stayed with a doctor to like 32 weeks or they were they did not like their doctor, did not feel like their doctor was listening to them, but felt like they had to stay with them. And that, like just the like giving them that freedom, like, you know, you can if you don't feel comfortable, you can leave, you know, you can go to someone else. There, there are people who will who will take you on as a client, as a patient. So that was a big that's been a big one is that often women are unhappy with their prenatal care, actually. But oftentimes that's where you'll see why I think why the issues come up with the birth, because if generally, if you like trust your doctor, you have a good relationship with your doctor, you're not going to, you know, all of a sudden the birth, it's just horrible. Typically it's some, something shifted. Like with me, again, I went to a midwife, a uh, practice with midwives, but they give, they, um, deliver babies at a hospital. So that's where the challenge was, right? The, the experience with the midwives were great, but then I was in this, <laughs> I was in this other setting, right? This hospital setting, which is, you know, its own, we could talk for, I'm sure, an- do another podcast on the hosp- issues with hospitals. So those are some of those things that come to mind. So advocacy to me is always support. It's education. I feel like, like you said, not to put it on the client, but encourage them to find, to find someone, um, when, and I know some people will say, well, there are some people who really just don't have anyone. And so if you are inclined, right, if you feel like that's your role in that moment as their therapist, you might be their only support person. So it might be as simple as you looking up um, information with them about the hospital where they're giving birth at. Because there are rights, patient rights, and we have, we, you know, we should know our rights. Um, and again, you don't ever have to sign anything that you're uncomfortable signing. Now, they can refuse to care for you. They can. Some people have been felt forced into C-sections, et cetera. Um, and they can say, well, you know, if you don't agree, we won't deliver. But there may be another space that will take you. So I think letting people know that there are options um, and you don't have to feel forced to, to go with the first place or the first doctor you find. I think just that is really significant, giving people the right to choose and also saying it's okay to push it up the line. Um, and, you know, we live in a culture that's also really demonized women for asking their needs to be met. Uh, right. You know, certain came, names not being mentioned right now, but like we have whole stereotypes about the problem of somebody asking for help. And there's a big difference between I'm in a lot of pain or I want a $5 refund. You know, like those are very different mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take up some space. And I can hear in therapy how important that would be for any marginalized person to be coming into a space of so much vulnerability to normalize, okay, it's difficult to ask for this and here are some of the resources, or can you bring someone with you that maybe will feel more comfortable in that moment, asking for mm-hmm. the supervisor, asking for the case manager, asking for mm-hmm. you know the head of the department, whatever it is. Um, when it comes to somebody who's already had those negative experiences, and you know, I want to comment on what you had said, that every birth has its own elements of trauma. I, I certainly agree mm-hmm. with that. It's and I remember one of my doctors using the phrase transition. And I really mm. thought about 
what he meant when he said transitional. We, we do, we try to, if, you know, if I'm the one that delivers your child, then I try to do X, Y, Z as part of transition. And we're going to do this and this mm-hmm. conscientiousness about this huge transition that was occurring, not just like a transaction. Um, right. But so <laughs> once that transition has occurred, how do you talk to new parents or again, parents about those traumatic experiences? Are there particular interventions that you really rely on, or also don't recommend? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So um, again, I most of my clients are black. um, And so I'm trying to think of like, what often happens with with my with my clients specifically. um, There's often this sense of like, um, this is the, this is the complicated part. It's the, I want to almost use the strong black woman narrative. Like they're not allowed to, to, you know, to, to be sad or they don't have time. Like we have to say, I don't have time to be depressed, right? They don't have time to really experience, like to reflect and see it as trauma, to see it as challenging, to see it and, and all it's good and bad. Um, so my, like, I, I think, in my with with my work, I'm all about again like that making over motherhood. I was just having a conversation with a client about this. It's like, and we were it was this it was this a scenario about being a basically a black woman in a professional setting. Um, again, connected, but black woman professional setting, but not fitting the typical black woman stereotype that some people know that comes with being a professional black woman. We'll use that example. I feel like it's the same with mothering. It's like this square and circle. The mother, mothering, mothers that I saw growing up on TV, in the media, and even on social media, like their motherhood experience looks nothing like mine. Nothing like mine. I don't, they're just, it's different. It's different. It's different being a black woman in this world when you have like these additional maybe stressors or, um, not just stressors, but challenges, you have obligations, you, I mean, for, I mean, I could use me, I don't want to use me, but I'll use me as like being the, I'm the, you know, on my mom's side, the first person who has a PhD, right? So I'm already seen as like, oh, you know, I, I made it, I did this, I did that. So there's this layer. And then there's like these layers of, again, I, now I'm a mom, I'm a mom of two, but I'm also a professor and I have a business and I have, so I, it's not just the, you get that time to pause, freeze and say, Ooh, this happened. What about this? It's still, yes, this happened, but keep going because that's what black women do. We keep going. We don't stop. We can't stop. We've been taking this and we talk about this all the time. We were taking care of white women's babies. Like no one wants to talk about that, but that still is like in our, it's in almost ingrained, right? It's that intergenerational trauma. We know that stuff that gets passed down, right? We were wet nurses. Black women were breastfeeding white women's babies while they had their own babies on their backs, right? Well, I mean, uh, we, can you, I mean, think about that. That's what we're talking about. This, that's the hit in this, in this country, right? In the U.S., that's the history. That's the historical implications of our, our experience of motherhood. You know, black women were mammies, right? We were always taking care of everyone else, everyone else's children, in addition to our own, when we had time. When would we have had time to take care of ourselves? So we fast forward to 2023. Black women are still taking care of everyone else except themselves. So therapy, I, I, I push it. I tell people all the time, even if nothing's wrong, I think everybody could benefit from therapy. Even if you feel like you got it all, even if you just, just do a little self-reflection because you will discover and find something that can help you. And that can give you again, a, a new, whether it's just an outlook or new perspective or again, rest. Honestly, like we don't talk about that enough. Like, and that's across the board for moms, like just resting. And I'm not talking about sleep. If you're a mom, then you know what I mean when I say just rest, right? Those moments, five minutes before you go in the house and you know that the kids are going to be running around screaming and crying and tagging you and everything else. And you just sit in the car and you take a bite of that candy bar you snuck or that coffee or so whatever your little thing is. And you say, I go in the house that rest right that you don't get 
as a mom. And so, yes, as a black woman, as black mamas, um, it is difficult for to, to do that. And so therapy can can be that space for them. Before we started interviewing, you were talking about the idea of making sure that we're giving people a voice. And mm -hmm. it sounds like when you're coming at it, it's really about granting permission and then also figuring out microphones. <laughs> if your voice is already tired, what, what friend can be your microphone? What case manager? What therapist? Um, and I, and I yes. appreciate what you said about the social work element too. Um, even as you're talking about this, thinking back on my own experience with my first child and when I was pregnant, I did the birth plan thing. You know, I, I had some ideas and my goodness, how different, how different would my experience have been? I think if I knew a little bit more about what to actually expect beyond just some hospital tour and like an introduction about here's how you're going to swaddle a child and how you change a diaper, like those are great. Like the, I'm grateful for those and that it's not nearly enough and the importance of that sisterhood element, you know, that the connection of people, um, as you said, like going back to other people who have been through the experience and asking for that insight, I think is really important. Um, for a lot of folks after they've just had a child, they may have different access to resources like groups. Do you find yourself referring to postpartum, peripartum groups? Yeah. So again, and I would be curious for when how women find me. I mean, normally, I think most of my referrals come from psychology today, but they've often are like even past the kind of one year. I know we say postpartum can go one year and beyond, but normally they're a little past that one year. I mean, I my my own clients often um, find me when they're like already in the group. So I, I wonder again, this is, I'm thinking, right. As I'm on the spot thinking, is it that this goes back to the, like my women, right. The black women I see they're going, 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 going until it's too much, right. They're not coming at that early stage when things aren't, aren't going quite well. And actually I've, what I've found is a lot of people, they go back and they reflect and say, I think I had postpartum now looking back. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. My, um, you know, my husband or my spouse or my partner said something, but I, I didn't really, I ignored him, right? Or I was mad at him, right? And we talking about this strong, right? I'm powering through, I'm pushing through. So yeah, I had a baby. What's, you know, what is it? So, and, and we know depression, right? It looks different in different races, different genders, different ages and culture and context. Um, and so does anxiety. So and maybe even the sense of it presents differently. We, again, how much research is out there on the experiences of black women? So when you said that, like, yes, I love that microphone, right? Like, cause microphone, we shout it, shout it out loud, say it out loud. Um, tell, say it for the people in the back, for the people that don't feel like their voice is important, right? That they're not going to tell their story because they don't think it's important or relevant. But when you start sharing, you'll see like one person shares and then another person shares and then another person. So um, yeah, my clients are typically a little past that kind of like postpartum, um, like immediacy. But um, there is a like local place that actually I used to contract at um, in Baltimore that I often refer clients to if they're needing like support groups and other like um, like physical face to face contact. But I am big on those like mom groups on social media. I mean, that's how we connect nowadays. And of course, you need to, you know, vet for safety and you don't want people there. Are, there's those mom bashers. But for the most part, those like smaller like communities like I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. So there's like a Baltimore moms group. Like those are real people, right? Those are people, moms in my community. And so I often find that those spaces are much safer and, and have a, oops, excuse me, um, have so much information to give. I, I appreciate that. And it sounds like there's just a lot of work to be done to creating more spaces for these conversations and how I can hear how therapists can do it, even with the folks who are not the person who's pregnant by saying, you know, someone says, oh, my yes. best friend, and I'd be like, oh, so have, have you talked with that person? <laughs> you know, that, like, there are these little exactly. seeds that we can plant in the community um, to help facilitate some of these conversations, because I think part of it is expectation of like, what is available to me? What do I think? You know, how do I think I'm supposed to behave? Or what's okay for me to do? And what's not what options are available to me? I think answering a lot of those questions um, might reduce some of the trauma is, you know, not that 
we can avoid it entirely. Um, not in our culture as it stands right now, but I, right. I appreciate folks like you who are doing the work and having the conversation to make space for more safety um, and for better outcomes for Black people who are having children. Um, Dr. Richardson, for our folks who are listening that want to learn more about you and about your work um, or any particular resources you really recommend, like you recommended uh, PSI, for example, what are some some things you'd like to throw out there for our listeners? Yeah, so um, I am. I have my private own private practice, um, Melanated Women's Therapy LLC. So uh, the best way to contact me is through my website or email. And so my email is Linnea L Y N E I A at Melanated Women LLC And I'm also on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And for folks who want to learn specifically more about the black woman or black child birthing experience, are there any books or websites you recommend addition to PSI? Postpartum Support International does have a um, black mental health like um, alliance, I believe, like a subgroup as well that I can also share. Fantastic. Um, Thank you again, not only for shedding light on this topic, but also for your openness in discussing some of your own experiences and how you see all of these things kind of come together and how it's affecting um, the Black childbirth experience. Thank you again, Dr. Richardson, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've just finished listening to another exclusive Continuing Ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need Continuing Ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.